this week on The Startup Life. I mean, our goal was to educate business owners so they understand more about the process of getting loans so they can have better success in getting approved and understand the process of building business credit so they can succeed there as well. All right, Startup Nation, so let's take flight with Ty Crandall, founder and CEO of Credit Suite. The Startup Life begins now. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... Hey, Startup Nation. Do you enjoy the startup life? Now you can let the world know with gear from the show. Choose from the label yourself, make your own look, and making money t-shirts to tell your story of your path of entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to purchase. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. We got a big guest in the building today. We got Ty Crandall of CreditSuite.com. How's it going, Ty? Good, man. How are you doing today? I cannot complain. You ready to pour some knowledge in the startup? Uh, I am, man. I am. I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Oh, as always, this is Dominic Lawson. Startup Life is always brought to you by the Binge Podcast Network. So let's hop right into it, man. What's your story on your path to entrepreneurship? And tell us a little bit about Credit Suite. Oh, man, that's a, that's a, long, that's a long conversation there. You know, I actually, uh, when I got out of high school, I joined the military. I was in the Air Force for, uh, for four years. Then when I got out, I you know, jumped right into finance and, and sales. And I found that I really had a liking to that. So okay. um, I was in auto financing for a long time. And then, you know, a couple buddies of mine were in the mortgage business and the mortgage industry was hot. And I thought, you know, why not? So I jumped into the mortgage industry and, and, uh, and started crushing it. I was doing well uh, right off the bat. I remember, you know, I would do about the equivalent volume of our entire office combined in sales. So that was kind of my indicator that I should probably go out on my own. So that's what I did. I went out on my own, opened my own mortgage company, and, uh, and that was the first business that I ever, ever got into. My first uh, trip as an entrepreneur. Okay. And tell us a little bit about uh, Credit Suite now. Well, what we do at Credit Suite is we help make businesses become more fundable. Uh, okay. We also help build business credit, and we help with accessing all different kinds of lines and, and, and business loans. So we really are all focused on helping businesses get the money they need to grow. Now, you mentioned that your time in the Air Force. I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you for your service. We really do appreciate that. But also, uh, a quick follow-up to that as well. You know, a, a lot of times we have uh, military personnel who, who come out and they start businesses as well, and they do quite successful uh, at that. And we have a lot of military veterans who, uh, who listen to the startup life. Tell us why, you know, what you get from your, what you got from your military experience that has helped you succeed in uh, the success you have today. Oh man, it, it's hard to, it's hard to, to even uh, put that into words. I mean, military was an amazing experience. You know, I recommend sure. it for everybody. I, I just, I think it's hard to go right from high school uh, and then go choose what you want to do for the rest of your life and go do it. And that's why, you know, the average person changes their major, like, I don't know, like two, three times the first year. And most people get out and do something completely different than what they even have a degree for. So that just didn't make a lot of sense to me. So, you know, the military seemed like it made sense because uh, I could still get my education. It was paid for. And at the same time, I got to do some things and experiment with some different things to figure out what I really wanted to do. So it was, uh, it was a really enlightening experience. It's kind of a nice segue 
because you don't have your parents there, but you kind of do have your parents there. Like they cover your medical and they cover all the stuff that, you know, as an adult, you have to think about where coming out of high school, you really aren't thinking about that kind of stuff. But, right. you know, for me, the military was just amazing. I mean, it, it helped me, you know, teach core principles and core values that I live by today. Uh, and it also helped me realize that I do not do well working for other people. Mm, gotcha. <laughs> so I learned, I learned that it just wasn't for me. The way the, the, the management structure was in the military, you know, ended up not being for me. I'm a little bit of a rebel and I realized that there, but the experience, the knowledge, the education and paying for my school along the way, um, the discipline, being able to come out and understand the core principles and values that guide a lot of uh, how I operate in my life and business were, uh, were invaluable. Awesome stuff. Thank you for sharing that. Once again, thank you for your service. I really do appreciate that. And I appreciate that. Thank you. No worries. Uh, let me ask you this, man. Who or what inspires you as an entrepreneur and why? Well, man, it, that's hard to say. I mean, I think anybody that becomes an entrepreneur, it, I have a lot of respect for. You know, a, a lot of people, I think, have this idea that you're going to go, you know, start a business and have all this free time. And, and that's not what really happens. You know, running a business is a lot of hard decisions. And I don't know uh, in really any business owner that I've ever talked to that hasn't had to make the decision of paying their team before they get paid you know, all the sacrifices that are made, the long hours, the not seeing your family. So I have so much respect for anybody that just has the courage to recognize that there's a problem uh, and then jump in and really be committed to solving that problem. But uh, I got to tell you, I'm an Elon Musk fan. You know, that's, he's my guy. He's somebody I look up to a lot because he's still a complete rebel, does whatever he wants to do, no matter how much trouble it gets the guy into. For sure. And, you know, he's solving some major, major, major problems. I mean, and to tackle and run multiple massive businesses like he is tackling these major problems of which, you know, the greater percentage of people will never even try to tackle one, um, to me, is just ridiculously impressive. So I've got a lot of business mentors, but uh, for sure, he's the top of my list. Gotcha. Well, let's dive into Elon's Musk kind of, you know, track on that a little bit. So, you know, what do you think is it about not just Elon Musk, but people like that who just like have the, that audacity gene in them to be like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. You know, that's what I think about entrepreneurship in general. And mm -hmm. I think, that, you know, entrepreneurs are, uh, are we're just rebels. We just, right. and I'm not saying that we're all the same, but a large part of our clients and the people I've had the, the honor and opportunity to be around, including myself, we're just rebels. We, you know, we like to do things our way. We don't believe in the status quo. We get ticked when people say things can't be done and just beat our heads against the wall endlessly until we can prove them wrong. It's just like in our genes. We like to take risks. We like to fly by the seat of our pants. We like to not know what we're doing and learn as we go and build the airplane on the way down per se. You know, so I just, I just think that that's why I love entrepreneurs. It's hard for me not to have respect for anybody that has the courage to jump in because there's a lot of dreamers, as you know. There's a lot of people that are thinking about starting a business and, and think about doing a lot of things and never do. But the minute somebody pulls the trigger and actually really does it and takes action and starts taking those hits and starts making those sacrifices uh, for the betterment of themselves and just kind of mankind in general of improving life and solving a problem, I just have so much respect for anybody that does that, especially on a really big scale. And this is what we're seeing now, right, is these entrepreneurs come in and, and build multiple businesses. And, you know, that's like, it, it's insane to even think about that. It's so difficult, time-consuming to even operate one. 
So even more respect to those people that are successfully getting in there and building multiple businesses at the same time. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So Todd, man, you know, you, you recently had the pleasure of sitting in on a power lunch with John Pfeiffer of Entrepreneur Magazine and Steve Forbes of Ford Magazine, man. So for those of us who were not there, if we were a fly on the wall, man, what we, what would we have learned from that lunch? You know, the interesting thing is, is that, you know, we met Jason uh, at his office at Entrepreneur and, you know, Jason's, uh, uh, you know, younger generation uh, entrepreneur, you know, business owner, or, you know, you know he's, a, he's an ed- editor in chief, but, you know, he also does his own business stuff, his own podcast on the side. So sure. it's funny because we walked into this club and Jason walks in with tennis shoes, jeans, and a hoodie, which is, you know, that's millennials. That's like what, you know, his generation and one of a lot of the new business owners wear. You know, they looked him up head and down and we said, hey, you know, we're here to meet with Steve Forbes. So they gave him a pass and at least made him wear a jacket, which by the way, this is a club that you can't, you have to wear a jacket. You can't wear jeans. You can't wear shoes. Literally, there was no part of what the guy was wearing that was acceptable. It was was funny because we sat down and he said, hey, I'm it. I'm the new generation. And and he kind of made a comment. It was interesting because that's exactly what it felt like is that you have this older generation of media mogul that's done these amazing things, you know, run for president, this huge, uh, you know, this huge establishment that he's built. And then you've got the younger guy, the new guy coming in, the editor in chief that's shaking things up with entrepreneur. If you've seen entrepreneurs changes over the last couple of years, it is so notable the changes that they've done. So mm-hmm. that's how the whole conversation really was. It was just this, these two generations of people that are really um, high up in the media world and hearing contrast for both of them, I think was just so interesting and their take on the digital age and where things are going. And it was just, it was really enlightening to see both of those perspectives at the same table it was pretty cool. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I, I, I thought, I imagine that would have been a very, that would be a very cool dynamic and you just very, um, very much proved that otherwise for sure. Thank you for sharing that. Now, uh, Ty, you've written two popular books, man, Perfect Credit and uh, Business Credit Decoded. So I want to ask you about the latter. If I'm reading this book and Startup Nation is reading this book, you know, first of all, what was the inspiration behind that book? And what are three main takeaways you want readers to get from it after they finish that book? You know, the funny thing is, is that I, I do a lot of studying as a lot of entrepreneurs do. And one of the things I learned early on or read early on was that, you know, if you want to have credibility and be an authority in your industry, you should write a book. And so we had written so much other content that it was fairly easy for me to sit down and put together a lot of that content and ideas and, and be able to write a book. And to be honest with you, I think one of my mentors had said that if you ever want to have secrets that you don't want anybody to know, put them in a book because nobody will read it. And I always thought that was funny and it always stuck with me. And so, you know, when that book came out, I did it really mainly for authority. And the reality is I honestly never expected to sell even a book. It was just wasn't an idea. It was just by saying I was a published author, it gave me the authority uh, for people to listen to what I had to say. And then I'm just really big on education and teaching. So when anybody then listens, they know that I'm a source of valuable information and everything cascades from there. So it's really surprising to me even today to get checks for book sales because I still think about that, that if you ever want to have secrets you don't want people to know, you put them in a book. And that was kind of my mindset. That was my mindset when I wrote it, right? So I'm going to go back at some other time and write a book knowing that that's not true and that people may actually read it. But a lot of good stuff in that book, and I've had a lot of good feedback, which has been awesome. But I think the biggest three lessons to take are that, one, any business can build business credit. You know, it's not something that is reserved for the medium to large-sized businesses, like I think so many other people think that it is. 
Um, the second thing is, is that if you're building business credit, you know, there has to be done through a proper set of steps, a proper series of steps that you have to take. And if you skip steps or take steps out of, out of order, that's what, that's what results in declines. That's what results in so many people getting denied and thinking it's not possible. They just don't understand the order. And the third thing is that credibility is really important. I think the number one aspect that, that business owners overlook when trying to apply for loan and credit is their credibility, is the reputation, is the information they're putting on that credit app. And, and that's probably equally, if not more important for getting an approval, the way the address and the phone number and the, the name and all those things being done, the way that the lender and credit issuer is looking for them, and also to match the records that they're already getting on your business. Um, and that's important. So making sure that reputation is, is intact is extremely important when it comes to getting business credit financing. So there's a lot of lessons there, but I think those are probably three of the biggest takeaways. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Now, explain to Startup Nation the difference between personal credit and business credit. Well, they're really very much the same. They're just different uses. So, sure. per, you know, personal credit is credit for an individual that's linked to their personal social security number. And mm -hmm. business credit is credit for a business that's linked to the business's EIN number. Um, but outside of that, the credit's very much the same. I mean, you could have a Staples personal credit card. You could have a, a Staples business credit card. The difference is, is that business credit cards are just much faster to get, easier to get. It's easier and faster to build a business credit profile than consumer. And the limits are substantially higher because the, the appetite for spending money is significantly greater with businesses than it is with individuals. There's a lot of differences between the two, but really fundamentally at their core, both of them are credit profiles, one for a business, one for an individual, that lenders and credit issuers use to make all different types of lending decisions. Now, here on Startup Nation, we have a lot of people you know, in our audience who, you know, who are in the real estate game, right? So how can an investor obtain money to purchase like for fixing flips? Well, business credit, you know, when it comes to real estate, that's uh, two, two of our top five industries are real estate, real estate investors and real estate agents. Gotcha. And the reason for that is, is because real estate's a really hard industry to get financing for. Everybody wants to jump in that industry and so few actually have any idea what they're really doing. So, you know, a lot of lenders are very skeptical about lending there. But a lot of what a lot of our clients are doing is they're building their business credit to get cash credit that they're using to then liquidate those cards and purchase properties. They're using a program we call UBF or unsecured business financing uh, before they even start building business credit to get credit lines that report on their business credit reports to help them build business credit. Then they're using those credit lines to then go out and purchase property. Uh, and then a lot of the fixing of the fix and flip is done with business credit as well. The Lowe's, the Home Depot, the labor ready, um, you know, everything to do with the building supplies and the, 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 the people that you need to do the work um, all of those things can be used for individual business credit cards. So typically that's what we see. We see the credit lines, the cash credit being used for purchase of property. And then we see that a lot of the other cards like the Home Beat Depot, the Lowe's, the store specific cards are either used to maintain those properties or to flip or to fix them to do the fix. Gotcha. Well, let me ask you this, Ty. You know, th there's some people out there who, who've had like some issues with credit in the past, right? Bankruptcy, liens, or credit's just messed up a little bit. First of all, is there hope for them, and how can I get back on track? Well, first of all, anybody that has consumer credit issues should address those. You know, we don't deal with consumer credit, but there's a lot of very reputable credit repair companies out there that can help. And the reason that you want to look into one of these type of companies is that, you know, everything on your credit report must be 100% accurate, verifiable, and timely 
per the Fair Credit Reporting Act, that's the law, or it shouldn't be on your credit report. So a lot of people make mistakes, but then the problem is, is that credit issuers manipulate data to make the damage to the credit worse than what it really is. And mm. when you go through a process of figuring out what those discrepancies are and so disputing them, the law says that those inaccuracies have to be corrected or the audit has to be removed. So you know, I've got a lot of experience with consumer credit, and what I found is that well over 80% of derogatory items on a credit report if challenged properly could be removed because they weren't legally, they shouldn't be there to begin with. So I think anybody that has credit issues should think about doing that. But what's nice about business credit is that it's built regardless of consumer credit. So when you're a business owner, you should work on consumer credit because it will tie into loans and credit lines and open up other funding options for you, but it has no tie into business credit building. You know, you're still able to go out and get a $50,000 Chase credit card or a you know, $40,000 Staples credit card or $30,000 at Amazon. You're still able to get all that credit because when you're building business credit, you're doing it based on the business's ability to pay off the consumer. So there isn't consumer credit reports happening when you're doing it the right way. And because there's no consumer credit poll, then consumer credit doesn't tie into whether or not you get approved. Gotcha. I appreciate you sharing that because I think a lot of our listeners sometimes get confused at like, you know, that one not necessarily has to do with the other. So making that separate, that separation in your answer, I really appreciate that for sure. Uh, let me ask you this, man. You know, so, you know, you have an audience, you have a podcast, the Business Credit and Financing Show. Tell us a little bit about that and what, what your uh, audience can expect from you. Well, what we found is that we're really big on providing free education and content. I mean, our goal was to educate business owners so they understand more about the process of getting loans so they can have better success in getting approved and understand the process of building business credit so they can succeed there as well. So we really look at it and say, look, how can we distribute information? How can we distribute content? I think this is something that all business owners should really be focused on. And podcasting, if you look at the growth in podcasting, it's just, it's something that can't be ignored. So years ago, um, you know, I was listening to this lady named Jessica Rhodes, mm -hmm. and she works with a company called Interview Connections. I'm a huge fan of Jessica's. And I listened to her on a, an, 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 like a, a pre-promotion for a conference that Jim Palmer, her dad, was actually hosting. And she mentioned podcasting. I thought, that's a brilliant idea. Like, why don't we do that? We have the content. So we just started converting a lot of our regular webinar content to podcasts. And what we found was that our, we built an audience fairly quick and they were very interested. So now we release an educational, for, an educational show every week. And then every other, uh, also every week, uh, we release another show with an interview with somebody that can help them with the strategic aspects of building a business, with the tactics and the tips and things along the way to do that. So it's just been a huge hit for us. I mean, the podcast has taken off. We've had you know 150,000 plus downloads since since it rolled out, and our clients love it. They just like the flexibility of being able to listen on the go. And it's interesting because when I look at that. Uh, that lunch I just had with Jason with Entrepreneur and with Steve Forbes, you know, this, is, this was a large part of our topic as we were discussing podcasting and Jason has multiple podcasts and we were all exchanging podcast information. So this is just a huge platform for the future, I think, to make it more convenient than ever. Um, and I think it's going to be audio. And this was one of the things that came up in that conversation. I said, where do you think this goes? And, you know, Jason said, it's audio. I think audio really is in the future because, you know, you have to be somewhere to watch video. But you can listen to audio everywhere. And so we're starting to see more and more medias converted to an audio type format because audio is what entrepreneurs and people can engage with on the fly. So that's kind of my take on, on podcasting. I think it's something all entrepreneurs should look into. Nobody should be ignoring 
And because I really do think that, that what Jason said is, is correct. I think the audio and the expansion to audio will be a large part of digital growth and growth that you'll see moving forward. Absolutely. And I actually agree with you, Ty, because the thing is, not only that, uh, when you think about all the new cars that are being rolled out, they have that in-dash audio touchscreen system. And so a lot of people are able to listen to podcasts that way as well. So I'm glad you pointed that out for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And real quick, Startup Nation, I misspoke. I called Jason John. So I meant to say Jason Pfeiffer, not John Pfeiffer. So thank you for correcting me on Ty. I appreciate that for sure. We're a team here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Real quick before we go to break, man, what's your uh, your average day look like from sun up, sundown, be as specific as possible? Uh, sun up, man, that's that's a, well, it's pretty easy because I keep my day pretty structured. So I'm usually okay. up uh, pretty early in the morning, about six, sometimes I'll roll it out of bed earlier than that. Uh, I come down, I do yoga, and then I get in and I lift weights. Um, after that, I do meditation. Uh, then I sit down, I do my vitamins breakfast. And I always eat exactly the same thing for all my meals. So again, less things I have to think about. So then I eat my breakfast. I'm out then. I usually take my dogs for a walk, come back, make the rest of the family breakfast. Uh, And then usually they're eating breakfast and getting ready the kids for school and such while I'm up uh, getting ready for my shower. And then we're we're all headed out the door about the same time. They're off. My wife's taking them to school. I'm off to work. Uh, when I get to work, it really depends on the day. You know, I'm one of those guys where I'm not a procrastinator. So I'm not a fan of meetings, but being in the position I am, a large part of what I do is meetings. So yeah. I pack the early part of my week with just nothing but meetings to get them all done. So by Wednesday, all my meetings are done. Um, and then I'm getting into podcasts. I'm getting into all my other activities. And so my work days are, you know, you know how it is. It just depends on what's thrown at me. I'm either executing sure. my to-do list or putting out fires, et cetera. And then I'm done usually. And by then my kids are at soccer. I'm coming home. Uh, and then I come home, I eat dinner, I take my dogs for a walk again. And then I usually try to build in at least 30 minutes to 90 minutes worth of just thought time. So I have a to-do list of things to do during my day. And then I have a to-do list of things to think about at night. And I just use that quiet time to just think through concepts, strategize, etc. And then by then my kids roll in. I spend very little time with them before uh, I'm helping them get ready and they're off to bed. And then spend a little bit of time with my wife before, she, before she's off to bed. And then I uh, maybe get 30 minutes or so of, of uh, TV time, which I use to do three things. I, I study Spanish every night. I'm now studying some magic because my seven and nine-year-old have now realized that mine is horrible. And so <laughs> I'm learning some new magic so they can, I can keep impressing my kids. And then I'm a pilot, so I study flying or the destination I'm going to that week, et cetera. I do that every single night. And then I meditate, and then I'm off to bed. Gotcha. Real quick, uh, what made you take up learning Spanish? I've always wanted to learn Spanish, and I'm failing miserably at doing so. And so <laughs> it's, uh, I literally, I'm like at lesson nine. I'm going back to lesson one. Uh, so to go through again, I just, I've always wanted to learn multiple languages. I just think it's the coolest thing. And you know, there's so many places where knowing Spanish and learning Spanish could be, could be of help. So sure. I finally, about a year ago, built in a process at night where even if I only spend, you know, five minutes, so I had five to 10 minutes is what I set aside to study Spanish. And I usually make it through one to two lessons in that five to 10 minutes. And it seems to be working pretty well towards that goal of, of finally being able to speak Spanish. Awesome. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. How you like being on the startup life so far, Ty? I love it, man. I'm having a lot of fun. All right, Sardar I hope you're getting great value from Ty's content, but we got to pay a few bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to 
the start of life. Hey business owner, the startup life reach is growing. Wouldn't you like your business to grow with it? Reach out to us to advertise on the startup life. You can reach us at 901-857-4818 or you can email me at dominic at askalsolutions.com. I mean, don't get me wrong, like this is a great music to have break on, but wouldn't this break sound a lot better with the same music, but your business being advertised on it? Need more content from the Startup Life, you say? You can now sign up for the Startup Life All Access Pass on the Binge Podcast Network's Patreon page. There is exclusive content written by yours truly, video content where I share even more of my business philosophies, and whatever crazy content I can think of out of that crazy head of mine. And at only $5 a month, yeah, $5 a month, this is more content for you, Startup Nation, to really get ahead of your competition. So instead of upsizing that meal at your favorite fast food joint, you can now invest in yourself on your path to entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to sign up. All right, Startup Nation, so let's continue. So Ty, on your website, creditsuite.com, you offer businesses a four-step credit guide, like a free four-step credit guide as soon as you go on the website. So I'm a brand new business owner and I'm looking to establish some business credit, right? What type of value am I getting from that free guide? Well, the guide really maps out the steps in order of exactly what to do to build business credit. So when you go through that four guide, you'll understand exactly how the process works, what business credit is, the benefits of business credit, and then you'll know everything from setting up your business credibly, to going in the right vendors to get started with to initially start the profile score um, all the way to the end to getting revolving store credit and even cash credit. That one guide maps out all the steps. I know in, in addition to that, I know we talked earlier about uh, a lot of people liking that audio version and getting that audio education, but I know you still offer free web trainings periodically. What can the viewers expect from those? Well, the webinar trainings are much more in depth, right? Okay. So, you know, tonight we're doing a webinar and we'll go 90 minutes. So the, the more time I have to dive into topics, the more detail we can get into, right? So that's kind of the difference between, I think, a webinar and a guide is the guide will give you the overview of what the process is, the basics of what you need. During the webinar, we really dive into more of the specifics versus the basics. You know, here's more vendors and here's what you'll look at with the vendors and here's what the vendors, each vendor will look at, what you need to do to get approved. So the webinars give us a more in-depth look at the process, but a lot of the webinar training I do isn't just on that topic. You know, for example, about an hour and a half or about 30 minutes ago, I just wrapped up a webinar where we talked about the small business finance exchange, where this is where lenders get all of their data from to make underwriting decisions. So 
a lot of my training is just decoding, it's unveiling things like how the business credit scores work and how the behind the scenes stuff that the lenders don't want you to know um, actually works so you have the better chance of getting approved. So we talk about a lot of different topics on those webinars, but our business credit webinar is just a much more in-depth look at the specifics of the process versus the guide, which is great over. Gotcha. Let me, let me ask you this, Ty, really quickly, because you know, I'm hearing a, a common theme throughout our conversation where you talk about educating the client and, and, and having the webinars and the podcasts and stuff like that. It seems as if like empowering your clients is very important to you. Where does that come from? You know, it, it's in, an interesting thing. The first company I ever owned that I told you about was a mortgage company. I owned that sure. in the mortgage industry and that whole thing collapsed, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I went through building a business to great success and watching the whole thing crumble and laying off employees and realizing you can't pay the rent, going through both sides of that equation. And, you know, that really humbled me a lot. Um, and, and it helped me realize and empathize with entrepreneurs in a way that I never had before. So at that point, when I got into business credit, it really was for the purpose of when I discovered what it was, I found a way that if I wouldn't have personally guaranteed my debts in the business, I wouldn't have pushed my family near the, the brink of financial disaster like it did. I mean, we were almost filing personal bankruptcy, lost cars, homes. And the pain that that caused my wife, and I'm blessed that I didn't have kids at the time, uh, was it's still something that haunts me and drives me and will continue to until the day I die. And I don't want other people to really, and so when I figured out what business credit was, it just became very frustrating to me that there wasn't information about it. There was nothing on YouTube. You had to go four, five, six pages deep in Google to find any mention of it. Right. There just was not information readily available. So. What happened to me is that caused a lot of frustration. And I was kind of brought up to believe that, look, you can't really complain about problems if you're not willing to propose a solution. So I thought, well, look, I know now what this is. Let me learn how this whole thing works. And, and it became a process of me learning and then teaching as I go. So what would happen is I would sit there and say, okay, look, I want to know how this Experian business credit score works. So I would sit there for hours on Google and everywhere else I could find information. I would go to Experian, I would download all the product guides and go through all the product guides. And I would find this information and little by little I would start the creation of a PowerPoint to make it into a webinar. Now, for me it was a dual benefit because I actually was learning the information and at exactly the same time I was putting it into a format where a few days later I would be teaching everybody else what I just learned. And to this day, we follow that exact same model. We go in and we learn all the things that really are applicable to business owners that business owners should know about this whole system of building business credit, getting financing, becoming fundable. And then, you know, in real time, nearly a week later or less, we are then teaching that same information. So that's just really continued and that's been so popular. And we didn't, I guess, expect it at the time when I started for it to drive business, to build the authority. And, for people to come in and want to work with us just because they recognize that we have the experience, knowledge, and authority in that space, but it's continued to work. So our educating has helped us indirectly build the business, and that's made it easier for us to then spread and do more education and can put that out through more platforms. So kind of accidentally bumped into that, but that's kind of what brought it from back then to where it is now. And I'm glad you brought that up, Ty, because the thing is, I think the best companies are able to do that. They're able to educate and empower their clients or customers, whatever they want to call them, and to really have them to make informed decisions. And I think that's really powerful between 
business and consumers. So thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I think it's great for all your listeners to know that I'm a firm believer like you are, that that's the way business should be. I think Mm -hmm. it's just really sad that we live in a world where business owners don't get this and they're still out there trying to do the selling, this hardcore selling. It's really not about that. You know, as you know, we're just in a world where if you stop selling and, and, and literally put the customer first and just believe in education and believe in teaching and believe in really helping, then what happens is before you know it, you've built this loyal tribe of followers that will either take your free information, will use it, will get results, and will become your biggest testimonials. Like we don't have complaints, we just don't have those things online because our tribe fights our battles for us. Because I hear they that. Right? They know how much goodwill we do. So we don't lose anything if they use our free info and never use our service because they become our best advocates. And then a percentage of them want the faster path, right? They want to do it in six months versus the 18 they'll spend on their own. And then it, we attract those people as well. And then there's no selling to those people. We're not selling them on us and why using us. You know, they already know us. They're coming to us because they trust us, because the rapport is built, the credibility is there. So that's what business owners, I think, in general should be doing. And I just think it's sad that so many business owners still don't get that. And they're still out there trying to sell versus educate. Because when you do one or the other, you're either selling and trying to get people to do business with you or you're educating and they're coming to you in groves wanting to do business with you without the selling. To me, that latter just seems like the better path. Absolutely. I, I, I share that. Uh, with you as well, Ty. So thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Let me ask you this, man. Let's say, you know, I'm a new business owner and I go to creditsuite.com and a startup nation, just to let you know, creditsuite.com, that address, along with other, some of the resources we mentioned in this episode, are there in the show notes for easy access. Uh, let's say I go to creditsuite.com and I look at the price and I like, uh, like, I want to help. I want this help. But like, that seems a little bit much to me. And so that brings up the notion of like a lot of new business on the out there, they kind of fret over how to price their service or product or whatever the case may be. Uh, share with us your process on how you do pricing. You don't have to give up all the special sauce, but share with us how you do pricing and how do you comfort those fears when somebody says, I don't know, that may be a little bit out of my price range. You know, believe it or not, um, one of the best books I've ever read was on pricing and it's called The Confessions, uh, Confessions of the Pricing Man. Okay. I mean, old school, I forget the author's name, but you know, old school picture of him on the front cover. And I got a hold of this thing during vacation because my vacations with my family are trying to get in five to 10 books wherever I can. For sure. And I blew my mind. Like the fact that there's a real whole system you should follow in regards to pricing. And I wish I could say that I read this, developed all of our pricing based on it, but I fixed all of our pricing after reading it. So that helped me a lot. And then, you know, I think that uh, Perry Marshall hit the nail on the head, which is the fact that you have to first make a determination of where you are. You're either delivering a premier product where people are going to get significantly better results than they would get with a normal product. Or you're the Ikea of the world, right? You sure. find a way to do things cheaper, which both are great models, right? Like Ikea doesn't absolutely pretty good, right? So you, but you can't do both. And a lot of businesses fail trying to do both. And in our world, we don't try to serve both. I will easily say we are expensive, but we're expensive for a reason because what we've realized is that the process to work, you need somebody involved. Meaning that we've tested do-it-yourself systems where we remove our costs and we bring our prices way down. But yeah. here's what happens. The chargeback rate on those 
is higher than our higher priced products because people don't appreciate what they get, first of all, at that price and tier. Right. And secondly, without having somebody to actually physically help you through the process, people don't succeed. So we weren't the first company in the business credit space, but this is what happened was everybody that got here before us kept trying to go cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and then trying to deliver a service without being able to collect very much money. And what we realized was that the advising, the actual hand-on-hand -hand support with an advisor to overcome the problems that you're going to face and to not get stuck, to get the results significantly faster is really the only way that people really succeeded at scale. And so that's what we did. We did it because we just, we don't believe in putting out a product that it might be cheaper, but it really, we don't have the peace of mind to know that people could use it and really get the best and fastest results. And so we just decided to go all in on the other way. We want the, we've dumped seven figures into our software, but it's the best software that's out there for building business credit. We built an elaborate advising team that calls our clients five times the first five days and regularly ask them. We'll spend an hour on the phone with them, but we can afford to do that because they're paying to have that kind of servicing. And then the result is, is that you know, we helped 15,000 people. We've never got an online complaint from a client at any time because what we do actually really does work. So, but we can't make it work at a, at a cheap level. It just doesn't because when you remove all the support that costs the money out of it, it just doesn't succeed. So for us, I think you have to choose where you're going to be. You're either going to be the lowest person that finds a way to cut costs and do things cheaper and better than the rest. Or you're the person that's going to charge the premium where somebody's going to get 120 or 150 or 200% of the results that they would get with another product. So you have to make that decision. Once you know that, then the rest, of course, becomes math. What are your margins going to be? What are your costs involved? But confessions of the pricing, and I think, helps a lot with figuring out how to structure price because it's different. In our world, we don't really have any competition. The competitors in our space are very low level, very cheap products. In the high end, high end space, there just isn't anybody. So it's allowed us a lot of flexibility with pricing. Um, not to mention that, of course, you know, prices go up when times are good, and we have every intention of reducing prices as well as the economy shifts, which is inevitable in time. Absolutely, because I imagine you know, as you know, as as the economy goes, you kind of have to kind of alter those prices to kind of fit those needs. Because I, I imagine this is a service that where people may not gravitate towards a little bit once the economy kind of goes down or maybe it does. I don't know because people are trying to reinvent themselves or something like that. I'm not sure. Yeah, we'll see. But I mean, I, I'm a believer that you have to recognize that position of where people are. And sure. you know, for us, we've tried to, we've tried to put in more benefits than what they get out, what they spend financially. So, you know, yeah. our clients spend 24 a month for credit monitoring for DB experience. People who go to DB experience spend 200 a month for that. So we save $2,200 every year just on credit monitoring. So, you know, literally the first year savings almost pays for the entire enrollment. And then, you know, our clients get access to free valuations to figure out how, how much their business is worth. So the bottom line is we've put in more things that would cost them more money and time on their own to then to work with us. So it makes a lot of sense to our clients. Um, and for the same reason, and then for the same thing, we're able to offer a premier service and be able to earn and make the money that we need to make to be able to pay the staffing into the software that makes all that happen. And the data research. 
because that's what it is, is that you know, these credit issuers, we're showing underwriting guidelines for every credit issuer. We're showing the order of which ones to apply for. In order to do that, it's ongoing for us. We have to reach every, and that's the whole thing is what we've realized is that as much as we love automation, a lot of manual power goes behind making what we have work. And you know how it is. Manual power just, just costs money. Absolutely. It absolutely does. Thank you for sharing all of that. And, and speaking of manual power, that actually leads us into our next question. So I know you've built an amazing team there at Credit Suite, you know, you know and, and it seems like they all share your passion for helping small businesses, which I absolutely appreciate. So, you know, I, I want to know, how do you determine the people that you add onto the Credit Suite team that share that same passion that you have for empowering, educating, and everything else. You know, something that's really interesting about us is that we have uh, our first year, in, when we first, very in the beginning got started was 2013, mm -hmm. we were at uh, almost 75 team members, and today we've never had a team member quit, ever. Look at that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Actually, we did have one guy leave for personal reasons, and he came back, and so he works with us now, and, and it was really hard when he left. So as we started to hire people, you know, culture is a funny thing, right? Because we never set out to create a certain culture. But For sure. It seems like the people that we hired, a culture started to become creative. And when we realized what you're describing early on, we started to put together core values that described what made these team members so unique. And then from that point, we strictly hire for core values. We do not hire at all for experience. Now, part of that's because that's just the world we live in. There's nobody out there with business credit experience, right? So right. Like, we can't find those people to begin with. So then we just started realizing that if we stopped hiring based on experience, we started hiring based on cultural fit, then we were having much better success. And to this day, that's it. Our interview questions are all cultural fit questions. We're not even really concerned with the experience of the people that are coming in. And in doing so, that's helped us find people that are a good fit. Another little thing that I've learned is that, look, if you come in for an interview and you don't know a lot about us, then you're done. It, it's over. Also, you know, we'll finish the interview. But, like, we want the people to come in and go, well, okay, so, you know, why are you here? And they go, dude, you guys are awesome. And then they go on for, like, 10 minutes about why they're so excited about what we're doing and the problems we're solving. Those are the people that we really spend the time with and know that are a good fit. If they're not a good cultural fit, if they don't fit our core values, or if they come in and they don't really know who we are and haven't done research, it's immediately over. We will not talk to those people again. So those kinds of things have helped us along the way to build a really, really, really uh, unbelievably awesome. Gotcha. Ty, I'm going to mess with you a little bit. Let's say I, I did all my research on Credit Suite and I come in for my interview and I come in on opposite end. I'm like, look, dude, this is what you're doing wrong. What do you say to that person? Well, I, I don't know yet. Gotcha. The reason, okay. Here's the reason I say that. Because I actually had one guy do that. Okay. And I hired him. Because okay. at first I got on the call, the interview cost, and first of all, I want to let you know that you're really insulted because what you said <laughs> was an act. And, and then went on. And then he said, let me give you my justification for it. And it made sense that we hired the guy. But, you know, uh, well, he, he's, he's not working out at all. <laughs> so I'm on the fence now. At first, you know, months ago, I would have said, hey, look, you know, it worked pretty well. I got this guy at it, and he challenged me. All was good, but now uh, that's not worked out well. So now I think I have to step back and, and any, any hiring decision that you make, so much goes into it that doesn't work out that you have to spend a tremendous amount of time 
reevaluating what could have been done different, what signs did you miss? And so I haven't had a chance to dive into that mentally to see if that challenging was a good or a bad thing at this point. So like I said, jury's still out for me on that one. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. I just thought I'd just mess with you a little bit there. Finish this statement for me. When you work with Credit Suite, you can expect what? Awesome service. Awesome stuff. So, you know, I, I know work-life balance is very important. You, you mentioned your beautiful family. You got Cassie and your two kids there. Well, let me ask you this, man. You know, why is work-life balance important to you? How do you achieve it? And let us know a little bit more how that magic's going. You know, my, uh, my parents were really, really, really hard workers. And I learned to work smart with automation as an adult, but I learned to work hard for my parents. And, you know, my mom and dad worked all the time. And, and, and I just have so much love and respect for them for doing so. But I just have experiences. Like I remember coming home from the bus with a broken arm and the school didn't realize my arm was broken and they wouldn't send me home. And then sitting there for hours waiting for my mom to get off work. It was just, I, those are the type of memories. I remember my dad always working and working on weekends so much to a point where I questioned whether or not he really wanted to be with us because he had to work so much. I, I saw my parents go through school and, and all these things. So it just became really important to me to be able to be in a world where I could control my schedule and be there for my, my kids, you know? And it's right. not to say my parents weren't there for me. And don't get me wrong, I mean, parent club, I've heard horrible stories of, of, of upbringings. I had a loving family, amazing parents, still have an amazing relationship with them, so blessed for what I have because sure. of their commitment, right? So this is the way it is, right, between us. I mean, we, we, we want what we, what we didn't get. And so I want to be around for my kids. So that's always been a driving factor. And I think I learned an important lesson from, I don't remember, Brian Tracy or, you know, who, one of the, you know, how many books I've read that said, look, you have to set your goals of what you want, but you also have to set your boundaries of what you're that. willing to sacrifice to get them, right? I definitely so, hear that. That's me. It's, you know, when I learned that, I said, what are my boundaries? What am I willing to do? What am I not willing to do? And that was very important was to make sure that I have time for my kids. If I need to work longer, then I'm here with them. And then when they're to bed, I'm back to work, right? So, mm -hmm. and I'm not at that stage in the business now that work time is thinking time for me, but there were plenty of times where I'm back to work till two or three in the morning and then I'm still up to make them breakfast. So, I think you have to do that. You, you've got to come in. You've got to set your boundaries of what you're willing to do. And that's based on what's important to you. For me, that was built in from the very beginning. I wanted to be in a career I was going to be in for the rest of my life before I got married, before I had kids. Didn't work out because the whole mortgage industry collapsed. But I really think that that's what it is. You've got to set your boundaries. And then, you know, you've only got limited time to spend with your kids before school, after school. You have to try to make the most out of that time and then spend the rest of the time working when you don't have those opportunities. That's, that's at least how I do it. Um, and when I do have time with the kids, we have a laundry list of things that we want to do, we talk about. And the right. best place for that is Groupon. Like Groupon's okay. fantastic because they have all kinds of just crazy activities that you never think about doing. And then, you know, we make a list of all the ones we like. And then when we have like a, a weekend or something, we go do that stuff. So we were, this weekend, we were doing rock climbing because wow. it looked cool. And my daughter's like a gymnast. So she has all this upper body strength and loves to climb. Um, and then next weekend, I think we're doing uh, zip lining, you know? So, yeah. So we just, we, we have a plan going into it that, look, if we don't have something on the Saturday, if we don't have something on the Sunday, 
let's go do something fun. And my wife's not an adrenaline junkie, so it kind of gives her the much needed peace she needs from the chaos of you know managing their days all during the week. And then it gives me a chance to go take them to do something wild and crazy, which they always love and enjoy. So those are some things that have helped me succeed in that area. You want to share with us a little bit about the magic lessons, how they're going? It's going okay. It's going pretty good. <laughs> I got my first card trick down. Okay. And I feel confident to even be able to show that to adults now. So that's where it is. Gotcha. My kids are great tests because, like, the first one, I'm like, okay, you know, tap the deck, and then you have to pull the card to the top. And then I'm like, you did it. Look, you pulled the card to the top. And then the next round, my engineering-minded nine-year-old said, well, first, I want to look and see before I tap it and pull it up, if the card, what's there. And I'm like, what the heck? How did you know these things? Right. So they help filter it out to make the tricks good. And, uh, and I've also got another uh, disappearing object trick which I'm, I'm doing much better at. So my, I, I got one, I'm on to my second, and then I'm on to some coin magic next. But I'm you know, slowly but surely uh, putting some more, you know, building literally a bag of tricks. Gotcha. I <laughs> gotcha. I'm sure people at Credit Suisse look forward to that at the next professional development meeting for sure. They don't even know about it. See, that's oh, the whole here. thing. That's the great thing about magic. They're just going to think I'm naturally gifted. That's the yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So let me ask you this, man. You know, so you're a licensed pilot, man. I imagine some of that comes from uh, being in the Air Force and your military service like we discussed before. But, like, you know, what made you do that? Is it the freedom of just kind of being out in the open air? What, what, what's, what came of that? I think I was on a podcast. Okay. Um, and somebody asked me what I did for fun. And I came up with this convoluted answer that basically come back to the fact that I love to work and that's what I did for fun. Sure. And then I got off that and I couldn't stop thinking about that question. And it made me realize that I really had never had real hobbies as an adult. And so I, I, I embarked on what my wife will describe as a midlife crisis. And <laughs> okay. I went to Groupon. And I started doing every single thing I could find. So I did, you know, scuba diving and I raced exotic cars and I flew helicopters and airplanes and I did this thing called Jet Lev, jet lev which is this water jet pack where you fly in the air propelled by water and, and this flyboarding where it's like a, a, like a skateboard on the water where it shoots water off the bottom and then you float up in the air and I went hang gliding. And I mean, I just did, I did everything you could think about doing from fencing and everything there in between. And, um, and I love to fly, you know, I, I, I love to skydiving and, and of all of that I tried, I really enjoyed flying. And so, and it works for my brain. I like to enhance, I like to grow and flying really worked well for me because not only was it something I could enjoy and get away from the world and see the whole world in a different perspective, but it was extremely challenging to go through all of the testing involved and all of the training in the plane and then to go through all of the training, the book work and the testing and everything you have to know to fly planes. And even now that I'm a private pilot, it, it never ends, right? I was just looking at, um, you know, being able to get my add-on to fly helicopters and, you know, all these other things. So then as I continue to grow through my life, I can continue to add more, more certifications to my license. You know, I can go out and be able to get the ability to, to land on water and get my float plane license, et cetera. So it just worked well for me. It was something that could occupy my mind. I'm like, I sit with my wife at night and like, she likes to watch TV sometimes where we're not talking. Um, that drives me crazy. I can't just sit there and like watch TV and not do something that moves me forward in some way. For sure. So it kind of gave me something to do during that time. And it, would, it just kind of 
checked off all the boxes. So I got into it and I've, I've loved it. I, I try to go up and fly every Friday is my goal is to get up every, every week and get up in the air for at least a few hours. I'm trying to hit every uh, private airport in the state of Florida right now. That's, that's one of my big goals. Oh, wow. It's not amazing. The reason I wanted to ask Ty those questions about the magic, about the learning, the expansion, the becoming a licensed pilot is because as you're on your path to entrepreneurship, this continuous state of learning should always be happening. Even if it's not something related to the business, even if it's just something that's like you may find uh, that you have fun and love to do. Because I think, you know, as you continue learning, it builds the the building blocks for continuous learning, not only your personal self, but also in your business as well. So thank you for sharing all of that, Ty. I really appreciate that. Oh, thanks for the question. No worries. Uh, real quick, man, all entrepreneurs, I believe, have a superpower. What's yours and why? Cool. You know, mine has always been implementation. I mean, that, that's it. I am not mm -hmm. a procrastinator. I'm an action taker. And those around me are very surprised because we will get together and discuss ideas and literally 24 hours later, they will be in place. So that by far is my superpower. I am ridiculous at taking action. And I found a really good way, you know, using a to-do list and, and creating action items and having a plan going into my day to be able to do that. So without a doubt, that is one of my biggest natural superpowers. Awesome stuff. All right, man. So this is the part where we just kind of wrap up the show a little bit, man. Any last nuggets or words of wisdom or gems you want to drop on Startup Nation? Honestly, one of the best interviews I've ever had. I think we've covered a huge, diverse amount of uh, diverse questions. And I think we dove into a bunch of topics. So I don't think I have anything that you have not already covered. All righty, man. So that's going to wrap up this session of the Startup Life. Did you enjoy it? I loved it. I had a blast. Awesome, awesome. All right, Startup Nation. So here's my final take. Some of the best entrepreneurs are the ones that are very transparent, you know, open books. Ty embodies this hand over fist. The way he shares how he, you know, builds his business and reaches out to his client base, but also how he learns different things like magic or learning Spanish, lets me know that he's one of those genuine entrepreneurs that anybody can learn from. But the biggest takeaway, I think, is the fact that his, his call for service, which may stem from his military background, or maybe it's been ingrained in him all this time, but I think his passion for serving his client base is why I think he is successful. If you want to let us know what you think about the show, have an idea for a show topic, or like to advertise on our show, please send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is here in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as can be now be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or whatever your favorite platform to get your podcast on. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. Also, don't forget to sign up for the Startup Life All Access Pass to get exclusive content. This is exclusively on the Binge Podcast Network's Patreon page. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the Startup Life.